All right, Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the program. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for being here. We have a special treat for you today, uh, but before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsor here at Lone Star Gun Talk, and that is Provident Metals. If you are anything like me, you believe in protecting your property. That includes the value of your dollar that you work so hard for. And one of the most proven hedges against inflation and devaluation is precious metals. You know, the uh, the U.S. dollar has lost over 96% of its value since the Federal Reserve was implemented in 1913. And it doesn't show much promise for regaining any of that lost value. And that's why I trust Provident Metals with my bullion purchases. Provident Metals is an online bullion dealer based right here in the Lone Star State, and they are offering exclusive discounts on select bullion items to our listeners. See all of the featured products for Lone Star Gun Talk listeners at providentmetals.com slash guntalk.html or call 1-800-313-3315 and be sure to enter the promo code GUNTALK at checkout to receive 10% off your order. All orders of $99 or more get free shipping, and veterans, be sure to call and ask them about their military discount, which can also be used in conjunction with this special offer. All right, guys, so today we have a special guest, and that is uh, Rachel Malone, who is the fi- uh, the founder of Texas Firearm Freedom, and she is now the uh, executive director for Gun Owners of America here in Texas. Uh, Rachel, welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk. Thank you so much, Derek. It's great to be here. So uh, you were at the uh, Senate hearing last week. I unfortunately was not able to make it. I know AJ was there, uh, and I know uh, CJ and a bunch of other people were there. Uh, But kind of give us a rundown. What was the overall vibe? How many of the angry mommies showed up? And uh, um, what was your take as far as the split was concerned? So, so just to get just to recap a little bit, this is a Senate Select Committee on Violence in Schools and School Security, and it was formed May 30th, uh, which is right when Governor Abbott's school security proposals came out, um, specifically to study some of the items in that, including school marshal, mental health, and of course, red flag. So this was their fourth and final hearing. It was just on red flag to to determine or to take testimony on whether Texas needs a red flag law, essentially. Um, According to my count, I I believe that there were about 49 witnesses who testified. According to my notes, um, I I was keeping track of who was testifying in favor of red flags, who was testifying against. Um, And and to be clear, there was not a bill on the table. This is an interim hearing. These happen between sessions, so the legislature can study the issue without, without having an actual bill. Therefore, they don't record for or against the bill. They just, you know, listen to the testimony everybody's recorded testifying on. But according to my records, 45 people gave a recommendation for or against, um, and 34 of those were against red flag, and only 11 of them were in favor of red flag. So our side was definitely, um, definitely dominating the conversation. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Who who was on? Do you remember who exactly was on the Senate panel? Um, yeah, actually, I can pull that up. So it was chaired um, by Senator Larry Taylor, 
who is also the chair of the education committee. So that's, that's why they pulled it. It's, it's sort of kind of a combination of the education committee and the state affairs committee because education looks at schools and state affairs looks at some of the gun stuff. So it, it was kind of a mashing together of those two sort of. So um, Senator Larry Taylor was a chairman. Joan Huffman was a vice chair. Senator Creighton um, was also on it, as well as Senator Kelly Hancock, Senator Don Huffine, Senator Eddie Lucio, um, Senator Charles Schwartner, Senator Royce West, and Senator John Whitmire. Okay, so there was a there was a healthy mix even among the Republicans. Uh, obviously, Joan Huffman yeah. is not uh, not a huge friend of of ours anyway, uh, but uh, Don Huffines has definitely been helpful in the past. So it's it's good to see that there was kind of a mix even among the Republicans themselves and not just, uh, you know, rhino right. Republicans and, and Democrats. Um, there definitely was a mix. So what were some of the specifics that they were talking about as far as red flag were concerned? So, I mean, the, the actual charge of the hearing was somewhat broad it was examine whether current protective order laws or are sufficient or whether the merits of extreme risk protective orders or red flag laws should be considered for seeking a temporary removal of firearms from a person who poses an immediate danger to themselves or others only after legal due process is provided with the burden of proof sufficient to protect second amendment rights guaranteed by the united states constitution so that was the official charge so people could come and talk about anything related to that um, according to the testimony I heard, four, uh, I think three of them did not even mention red flag at all, um, but testified just regarding other random school safety needs. So, so, and again, because there wasn't a specific bill on the table, uh, witnesses were allowed to come and, and bring a wide variety of responses and of recommendations or, or gripes or you know, whatever it is they wanted to bring forward. What were some of the more outlandish proposals that you heard, if any? Were there any? Yeah, so um, something, okay, so something one of the, you know, the Moms of Man Action, the red shirt people uh, came forward and said, one woman said, made a comment referencing red flag and saying, well, this is something that we've all agreed that we need. You know, we've all agreed that we need these red flag laws. And I, I tweeted out as soon as she said that. I said, um, no, we haven't. Don't ignore my voice or do only women on your side count. Because uh, I, I, I feel like that sometimes. You know, all women's voices count as long as they're on our side. Um, you know, and that's obviously not true. So there was that. Um, then they would come and say, like one person said, well, no one is immune to a crisis. And I tweeted, yeah, and that's why I carry a gun. It's not a reason to take away guns or create a new law that we expect those with a violent intent to follow. Um, so, you know, their point was, oh, people can have a crisis, so, you know, have more means of taking away the guns. I'm like, no, you, you, you don't just count on the government to protect you. And I, I, I say this a lot, but I really feel like this this is sort of the root of some of our problems we have with people bringing up gun control. They want the government to be able to protect them. They want to believe the government can because it's kind of scary to realize the reality of this world. The danger exists here, and there isn't anybody who can fully protect you from it. And that's frankly, that can be a scary thought if you never thought that before. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting because every time we we talk about gun control, 
the talking points of those who are pro-gun control are always, uh, we need to stop this from happening. We need the government to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Well, it doesn't matter whenever you bring up like knife attacks in London or how somebody used a, a, a Home Depot truck in New York City or how even in gun-controlled Los Angeles you have people getting shot up in a, in a Trader Joe's. Uh, you know, they don't seem to understand that, well, there are about 700 to 900,000 sworn police officers and 325 million people in this country and you can't have the government everywhere at once and criminals by their very nature don't obey the law. So I guess I'm, I'm having trouble communicating with people on the other side, trying to tell them what good is a law if somebody's just going to break it. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I testified representing gun owners of America, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm Texas director for GOA. I've been on the job with that for two or three weeks now. Um, so this was the first, obviously the first big event we had. It was fantastic to have something right away to get to work in and, and to come out winning so big. Um, but what I, I included in my testimony, a court from the ninth circuit, which you know, does not include Texas, but and I, I referred to it. And actually the ninth circuit didn't say this. They affirmed a lower court, a district court ruling. And they said it would indeed be ironic if, in the name of public safety and reducing gun violence, statutes were permitted to subvert the public's Second Amendment right, which may repel criminal gun violence and which ultimately ensure the safety of the republic. So, uh, you know, after the committee hearing and everything uh, was over and done with, Lieutenant Governor Patrick came out uh, and basically said that he and Governor Abbott are now adamantly against this. And what I, at least what I found to be completely interesting is that, well, Abbott was the one who initially proposed this. And he's the reason we're having this conversation right now. And so to me, it kind of seems a bit like a flip-flop, seems more to be of political convenience than anything else. How do you feel about this whole situation? Yeah, so... That was one of the quicker responses we've had to our overwhelming turnout at a hearing. Um, I think it was a couple hours after the hearing ended, Patrick released a statement. Um, he said, regarding the topic of red flag laws, which was discussed today in the select committee, I have never supported these policies, nor has the majority of the Texas Senate. Um, and goes on to say a few things. So what I take away from that is, you know, we could speculate all day as to why he made that statement. You know, what if the results had been the opposite? Would he still have said that? Um, you know, at, at what point, you know, was it our pressure that made a difference? Whose pressure was it? Was it some one particular person? I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily worth a speculation, but I think what we do know is that um, constituents standing up in uh, mass against a certain policy carries weight with politicians. And we know this carries weight with Patrick. Um, you know, we, we've seen that happen before. And so I think that the biggest takeaway for all of us needs to be that when all of us from all of the groups show up and oppose something, and when all of our members can come in, the, the more people that show up, the better. And our voice counts. 
um, we show up with enough people, our voice will be heard, and we have the ability to influence things for our direction. That that needs to be our takeaway. And we need to remember that moving into the next session, when we're going to have hearings where there are actual bills moving along, not just ideas being discussed. We're going to need people to show up. Right. And that is incredibly important. You know, uh, last session we had quite the turnout whenever it came to yeah. uh, HB 375 and its lesser counterpart 1911. And, uh, you know, testimony on that lasted hours. I, I, I am anticipating right. nothing less than that um, oh, yeah. for, for this coming session, especially whenever it comes to not just constitutional carry, but any of these other proposals as well. I'm sure there are going to be liberals who will uh, submit bills and introduce bills for um, like report, you know, uh, having the state comb through Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts looking for uh-huh. potential red flags. I'm sure they're going to propose other red flag laws where people can lose their gun rights just because some uh, nine-year-old uh, tells their counselor something. And, you know, I read an article not too terribly long ago where a um, basically you had third-party uh, information, where which ultimately ended up with um, uh, state troopers showing up at a person's at, a, at the parent's residence and saying, "We need to confiscate your arms because we think that you are uh, your your child or you are a threat." Now, this didn't happen in Texas, but it was. Uh, it's one of those things that's kind of scary that you know we're we're allowing children to make claims that ultimately end up with with police at your door ready to, to take yeah. take away your firearms and that's that's exactly the opposite of what I want to see happen here in Texas um so in addition to things like constitutional carry what are some things that you might expect to see uh come in the oncoming session um so as you mentioned, yeah, I, I think we definitely could take a victory lap with what happened last week, but the, the battle is far from over. I mean, that, that was one little battle. Um, and even if they don't call it red flag, we can definitely expect to see some of those measures sneaked into other bills, um, you know, under a different name, just in disguise. So we're going to have to be on the alert for that. You know, and just because the Senate doesn't want to bring it up doesn't mean the House is going to bring it up and get momentum as much as they can. Um, and maybe do trades on other bills. I mean, there are all sorts of political things that can happen. So we've got to be on the alert. Um, some of the most egregious things that have been proposed include you know, red flag or things having to do with mental health, um, things having to do with you know the government watch programs like iWatch um, or you know, fusion centers, things that collect data on us, whether it's from our social media accounts or from purchases. I think one example they gave was literally even, oh, somebody purchases ammo and that, you know, that's sort of a, you know, a, a ding on the system of, oh, you know, potentially dangerous activity and combined with, oh, somebody observed this person was a little bit upset, oh, potentially dangerous. Now law enforcement goes to investigate them. So things like that, again, we don't have a bill, but those are those are things that in various forms have been proposed. So we need to be on the lookout for those. Um, firearm storage. Um, I'm just going to say, I don't, ne- I don't necessarily think our firearm storage law as it exists is great. And there's some things that could be better about it, but um, we, we certainly don't need to go making it worse. Um, and, and I feel like some of the proposed changes would make it worse. Um, and, and, 
move the government into more position and assert the government's authority in areas where it should not have authority. You know, it should not have authority in how we store our firearms in our homes. Um, that it's not the government's job to come in and mandate that. And I, I would absolutely tell you, I 100% believe in uh, the responsibility of gun owners to you know handle firearms safely, store them safely, use them safely, carry them safely. But that is a self-regulation thing. Uh, that is something that we need to uh, self-regulate ourselves and and do and take responsibility on ourselves to do. And that's not the government's responsibility. So those are all examples of things that I think that you know we'll see, whether it's in blatant form as a standalone bill or whether it's sneaked onto or tagged tacked onto something else. And you know that is actually um, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick has said that school safety is going to be his number one Senate priority next session. And whenever you have that, it, it's kind of a broad statement if you think about it. School safety is very, is very broad in and of itself. So you could see these things very easily slipped into a a a bill designed to. Um, do something that we would all support that has to do with actual school security, but then some Democrat or Rhino Republican would implement an amendment or put forth an amendment that ultimately ends up being gun control. So I'm glad that you brought that up and it is something that we do need to pay close attention to. Um, Yeah. And so as we, as we try to fight this, you know, if if people come around with the argument of, oh, well, do you hate the children or, you know, we got to do something. We have to stop talking and actually do do something. The answer that I, I want everybody to be able to offer without being, you know, without taken off guard or, or ashamed of it is what we know to be the truth. If you want to do something to increase school safety and gun-free zones, you, you end the default prohibition on law-abiding citizens carrying guns in schools so that... You know, hopefully next time someone with violent intent seeks to cause harm, there's a good guy with a gun who can stop the threat and save precious lives. So that's our rebuttal. We don't just stand there and say, oh, well, you know, do do something. Well, no, we don't want to do something. Yes, we do want to do something. We want to end gun-free zones as the most logical and effective way to harden our schools um, and give us a fighting chance at saving our own lives and our kids' lives. Absolutely. You know, um at the uh, Carry for Our Kids rally uh, last month um, down in Santa Fe, uh, CJ mm-hmm. was asked a question about, you know, what are some of the things that we do? And, you know, he articulated it very well. He basically said, look, whenever it comes to school security, we're not against actual measures for hardening the target of a school. However, you will never have a 100% guarantee foolproof plan that could ever be put in place. And so arming or not, I hate when people say arming teachers, cause that's not what we want to do. We want teachers to right. be able it's to arm themselves. Allowing them to, yes. Reducing right. the pro eliminating the prohibitions on them. Right. And that is the last line of defense. When all other measures fail, having the ability to defend yourself is the last line of defense, and hopefully that is what it what is the ultimate takeaway of Lieutenant Governor Patrick's plan. I'm hoping that's the end game here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Rachel. Well, thank you very much for for your time and your insight today. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, I I know that uh, you've been recently appointed as the uh, Texas Director for Gun Owners of America, which is in, in, very well deserved. 
Um, you know, we had such a such a wonderful experience working with you um, last session as a member, you know, as the founder of TFF. If people are uh, looking to, you know, find a way to help the cause, how can they find out yeah. more information about Gun Owners of America? Sure. So the best way is just to go to gunowners.org. Um, that's gunowners.org, or you can always just Google Gun Owners of America. Um, and to join, join GOA. Um, so there's an option there. You can join online. The, the basic year membership is 20 bucks a year. Um, and that's not a ton of money, but that really helps. Um, if you're able to do a recurring monthly donation or join as a, as a Patriot member, that's really cool. Um, that's helpful. So, you know, do whatever you can. Uh, I, so I always ask if people, uh, you know, don't, you know your limits, you know what you can do, but try to do all that you can. And we appreciate um, that support and that help. Um, also, if you want to follow along, make sure you are joining the um, email alert sign up. So again, just go to gunowners.org. There's this little button on the side of sign up for email alerts. I'll be writing the ones for Texans um, for our statewide alerts. So make sure you're signed up there to get those. And I know that Lone Star Gun Rights also does a great job of getting out um, you guys get your alerts um, very well also. Um, or if you want to follow me on Facebook, Rachel Malone, or on Twitter, I'm Where is Bullet? Where is Bullet on Twitter? So, yes, please follow along and, and provide the support you can. Um, a lot of us are in this mission together. Um, I've always been, been very proud and pleased to be able to work with all the groups that share any common mission, you know, and and working together is the way that we that we do accomplish our mission. Absolutely, we are uh, we are very strong as individuals, but as a team, we are uh, we are an unstoppable force for sure. Uh, I would highly recommend Absolutely. that you follow uh, Rachel on both Facebook and Twitter because she is always putting out such good information. Uh, you know, she live streamed the uh, the committee hearing and. Um, you know, it, she, she just does a, a bunch of good work here. So, uh, and Rachel, before I let you go, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, you know, um, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And so it always takes people watching. Uh, and I'd like to encourage everybody, prepare for next session. And if, if that means you need to take a little time off from politics this fall, you know, do that. But Think through what are the things that you can do reasonably in your life to help out um, for the cause next year um, during the session. Is that, is that going to be coming down for hearings? Is it going to be promoting them online? Is it going to be giving, um, you know, financially so other people can come? Decide now what are the ways that you can help provide that eternal vigilance um, and, and plan to do that because it takes all of us doing our part to make this happen. Whenever you quote Jefferson, you're after my own heart. So <laughs> our friendship is well-founded, just so you know. Uh, all right, Rachel, Very thank good. you so much for being a guest here. Uh, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back on, uh, just let me know. We can talk about whatever you'd like. So uh, open invitation thank for you. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank well, you. Ra it. Rachel, thank you very much, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. All righty, guys. So uh, before I wrap up here, I want to get into this uh, story that – uh, got shared like crazy on our Facebook page, and that was the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals uh, uh, basically affirming that the right to open carry a handgun. Um, you know, a lot of people were asking questions as to what this means, and for us, it doesn't really mean much. It is important. 
Um, but Texas is in the Fifth Circuit, and this was a Ninth Circuit ruling, so it only applies in, in the Ninth Circuit, which is great. However, uh, I, I do want to expand a little bit on this and, and what it means. So from the case itself, it says, um, George Young wishes to carry a firearm publicly for personal defense in the state of Hawaii. He twice in 2011 pl applied for a license to carry a handgun, either concealed or openly. His application was denied each time by the County of Hawaii's chief of police because Young failed to satisfy the requirements set forth in Section 134-9 of the Hawaii Revised Statutes. Um, and it basically says, Absence of the license under Section 134-9, a person may only transport an unloaded firearm in an enclosed container to and from a place of repair, target range, licensed dealer, a firearms exhibit, a hunting ground, or police station, and may only use those firearms while, quote, actually engaged in hunting or target shooting. Uh, and that is where this suit was filed. This is actually a lawsuit. Uh, Young sued the state of Hawaii for his right to carry. Um, and here is what the court ruled. It says, indeed, the fact that the Second Amendment protects the bearing as well as keeping arms implies some level of public carry in case of confrontation. A right to keep arms on its own necessarily implies a right to carry those arms to some extent. For instance, in order to keep arms, one would have to carry them home from the place of purchase and occasionally move them from storage place to storage place. The addition of a separate right to bear arms beyond keeping them should therefore protect something more than the mere carrying incident to keeping a firearm. In short, the text of the amendment, as interpreted by Heller and McDonald, two cases obviously, points towards the conclusion that bear implies a right to carry firearms publicly for self-defense. What's interesting in this summary is that they also cited Dred Scott v. Sanford, which I have done uh, as well. And they quote Chief Justice uh, Taney, who, and he says, writing for the court, Chief Justice Taney disgracefully dismissed Dred Scott's suit for freedom after concluding that blacks had never been part of the sovereign, quote, people of the United States and therefore could find no recourse in an Article Three court. To hold otherwise, Chief Justice Taney wrote, would have, quote, entitled blacks to the privileges and immunities of citizens and thus granted them uh, the rights he felt only whites could enjoy. Quote, it would give them the full liberty of speech in public and in private upon all subjects upon which its own citizens might speak and hold, to hold public meetings upon political affairs and to keep and carry arms wherever they went. The fact that they... Um, they quoted this is uh, is fantastic because it shows the atrocities of the court as, as a whole, uh, which I am very pleased to read about. Uh, now, continuing on, it says, To summarize the history canvassed thus far, the important founding-era treaties, the probative 19th century case law, and the post-Civil War legislative scene each reveal a single American voice. The right to bear arms must include, at the least, the right to carry a firearm openly for self-defense. 
So this is actually a fantastic ruling and one that I, I adamantly agree with. Um, like I said, though, it does not affect us here in Texas. Uh, but that said, uh, it, I don't know what's going to happen to it from here. I don't know. Uh, I'm not entirely sure of the um, what is available to the state of Hawaii if they are able to appeal it further. Uh, the the lower court did uh, the lower court be below the Ninth Circuit did get overturned by this ruling. So we'll we'll see what exactly happens. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I'll keep an eye out for you, and I will let you know. But it is a win to an extent, just not one for us here in the state of Texas. All right, for our founders reading today, uh, I have a little excerpt from Thomas Jefferson's first inaugural address. I thought uh, I thought y'all might enjoy this. Let us then, fellow citizens, unite with one heart and one mind. Let us restore to social intercourse that harmony and affection without which liberty and even life itself are but dreary things. And let us reflect that having banished from our land that religious intolerance under which mankind has so long bled and suffered, we have yet gained little if, if we countenance a political intolerance as despotic, as wicked, and capable of as bitter and bloody persecutions. During the throes and convulsions of the ancient world, during the agonizing spasms of infuriated man seeking through blood and slaughter his long-lost liberty, it was not wonderful that the agitation of the billows should reach even this distant and peaceful shore, that this should be more felt and feared by some and less by others, that this should divide opinions as to measures of safety. But if every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle, we have called by different names brethren of the same principle. We are all Republicans, as we are all Federalists. If there be any among us who wish to dissolve this Union or to change its Republican form, let them stand undisturbed as monuments of the safety with which error of opinion may be tolerated, where reason is left free to combat it. I know indeed that some honest men fear that a Republican government cannot be strong that this government is not strong enough. But would the honest patriot in the full tide of successful experiment abandon a government which has so far kept us free and firm on the theoretic and visionary fear that this government, the world's best hope, may by possibility want energy to preserve itself? I trust not. I believe this, on the contrary, the strongest government on the earth. I believe it the only one where every man at the call of the laws would fly to the standard of the law and would meet invasions of the public order as his, as his own personal concern. Sometimes it is said that a man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? Or have we found angels in the forms of kings to govern him? Let history answer this question. Jefferson was always such a realist, and he was incredibly tolerant of other views, and I thought that that was something that, uh, that we should all hear today, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did as well. Anyway, that's going to do it for me. If you guys have a question you'd like answered on the show, please hit me up on Twitter or shoot me an email at Derek at LodestarTR.com, and uh, I will get those answers for you. And until next Monday, Lone Star Gunners, 
arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Hosted and edited by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2018.